Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. And a big show for you today because the Grizzlies played four games in five nights all at home amidst not only COVID-19, but also one of the worst snowstorms that Memphis has had, the most snow Memphis has had in 53 years, which made travel very difficult, but still the Grizzlies were able to play all four games as scheduled. So that was the week that was. It is going to be pretty busy in this particular episode. As usual, I will have some Petey's points, and I'm going to answer one of the questions from the mailbag that I got uh, on Twitter. And if you have questions that you'd like me to answer in a future edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, at Pete Pranica is my Twitter handle. You can hit me up there and uh, ask a question, and I'll be happy to answer it. And then our friend of the program, Neil Ivey, former assistant coach for the Grizzlies, is now the head basketball coach for the Notre Dame women's basketball team. And uh, we got a very great chat with her, uh, her reflections on the NBA experience, Black History Month, and also talks about what makes Taylor Jenkins a really good basketball coach. So we got that coming up as well. Really good conversation, and it was great to catch up with Niel. Great personality, did a fine job with the Grizzlies in her one year as an assistant. But then when uh, Muffin McGraw retired and the job was open at Notre Dame and the offer was made, Completely understandable. She'd want to go back to her alma mater and take over the job there. This edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be on the court, in the classroom, and in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. So we thank the Youth Athletic Foundation for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. And, uh, all right, it was a very, very busy week, and that was the week that was. Well, the Grizzlies ended up playing four games in five nights, all at home. That was not the original schedule, but the Grizzlies having had six games postponed due to health and safety protocols. uh, The NBA uh, took one of the games that was targeted for the second half of the season, Oklahoma City, and uh, slipped that in. So the Grizzlies playing four and five nights, which in the modern NBA is something that teams don't want, and the league has tried to and has been very successful in getting out of the schedule. But uh, these are just difficult times we're living in, and so the Grizzlies had to play four in five nights. And it started on Tuesday with a game against the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Grizzlies got off to an early lead, 11-point lead. Grizzlies actually led after one quarter. And then the middle quarters, well, really the rest of the game, uh, the roof fell in on them. Uh, Pelicans seem to have the Grizzlies number right now. They go on to win 144-113, to the most points given up by the Grizzlies this season. Pelicans shot 61.5%. They made 19 threes. But even more impressively, they did it on 38 attempts. They shot an even 50% from three. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies, 48%. You know, some of their numbers, you look at them and go like, eh, it's not too bad. I mean, they did force 19 turnovers for 22 points. Um, You know, Grizzlies shot reasonably well from three, 13 of 31 for 42%. But the problem was Pelicans were simply on fire. Brandon Ingram with 22 points, a perfect 4 of 4 from downtown. Josh Hart, best game of the season and close to the best game of his career uh, with 27 points, hitting 6 of 11. So uh, that was uh, not the best start to the homestand for the Grizzlies, but 
the next night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, they would bounce back and win 122-113. to 113. Uh, This was a game uh, Thunder actually had the lead after one quarter. Grizzlies, what was impressive about this is that they handled their business in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Thunder 36-28. to uh, Grizzlies shoot 51% in the game. They hold the Thunder just a tick below 45%. Again, the Grizzlies giving up a ton of threes, 19 to Oklahoma City. Darius Baisley hit four, and Mike Muscala hit five as he had his best game of the season with 21 points off the bench. All five starters for the Thunder in double figures, but the Grizzlies also had all five of their starters in double figures. And oh, by the way, John Morant with his third career triple-double, 15 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds for him. Didn't shoot it particularly well, just 4 of 14, but didn't have to because Grayson Allen had a monster game. Six triples for him, tying his career high. He had 22. Valanchunas a 22-point, 12-rebound double-double. Kyle Anderson with the very rare 25 by 5 by 5. Tied his career high with five steals, five assists, five boards, and 20 points for Kyle as he hit seven of 11 shots. Grizzlies, as I said, what was impressive about this is that they handled their business in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Thunder 36-28 to to win at 122-113. to Footnote from this game, Taylor Jenkins, his first career ejection on a second technical foul with just 25 seconds left in the game. That got the Grizzlies back to 500 at 12-12. and Thunder fell to 11-17. and Grizzlies get a day off, uh, try to clean up from the snow, hope that the ice goes away, hope that the temperatures go up, uh, and that all the water mains don't break in Memphis. And I'm not exaggerating. There are water issues. If you're not a Memphian, you may have read that uh, as we record this, Memphis with a boil water order, uh, water mains are breaking. The airport will shut down for a period of time because of insufficient water pressure. So, uh, Winter weather wreaking havoc in Memphis. On Friday, the Detroit Pistons come into town. Grizzlies, again, handle their business here. 109-95. They got out to a big lead. Uh, They led it 35-17 after one quarter. Never really let the Pistons come all the way back in this one. Uh, It was a Pistons team uh, that got all five starters in double figures. Josh Jackson, the former Grizzly, with 15 off the bench. Jeremy Grant, with 16, but the footnote to this is he was coming off a 43-point game, a career high, against the Chicago Bulls. Um, And the Pistons were actually playing some pretty decent basketball uh, until blowing a a big lead against the the Chicago Bulls. But Grant uh, was playing really well. Wayne Ellington shooting a career percentage from three was held to one of seven shooting, and a lot of the credit to that goes to Grayson Allen, who did not shoot it well. Uh, only four points for Grayson on two of eight shooting, did not make a three. But John Morant with 29 points, 10 free throw attempts for him, fantastic number for him. Valanchunas, another double-double. Grizzlies shot 47% and the Pistons 42%. Grizzlies win this game despite making just five threes, which is a little bit of an oddity, but the Grizzlies more than made up for that with 66 paint points. Well, then the fourth game in five nights, that's where everything caught up with the Grizzlies. Uh, The Grizzlies decided, number one, that guys have been playing a lot of minutes. Kyle Anderson hadn't missed a game, so he sat Grayson Allen. Remember, he's coming off a hip injury from last year, last season, really. Uh, He was rested. Dylan Brooks, still bothered by a sore thigh. Um, Brandon Clark has a sore calf. 
decided to rest him for some injury maintenance, and so the Grizzlies were severely shorthanded. The headline story on this is Justice Winslow finally made his debut as a Memphis Grizzly after more than a year off the court due to a couple of injuries. Rusty at the start, missed his first nine shots, uh, then hit three in a row, finished with 9.7 rebounds, uh, dogged defensive effort against Devin Booker. Uh, Devin Booker still ended up with a a season-high 23 points for him. Chris Paul, a hyper-efficient 16 points on just nine shots. He went four of five from three. Booker and Paul went a combined nine of 12 from three as the Phoenix Suns set a franchise record with 24 threes made. And for a second consecutive game, the Grizzlies just five made three-pointers. So when you take the Detroit game and the uh, Phoenix game together, the Grizzlies were a combined 10 for 53 from three, and that's that's a rough way to fly. Phoenix led this one by as many as 36, largest deficit the Grizzlies faced all year. Uh, Grizzlies severely shorthanded, so you know there, there there wasn't any great expectation with this. Gorgie Jang did come up with 15 off the bench. Tyus Jones with double figures off the bench as well. Uh, the starting five was the eighth different one the Grizzlies have used this year with Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Valanchunas, Melton, and Ja Morant. Job finishing with a dozen and five assists in about 27 minutes of work. So the Grizzlies go two and two on the homestand, and they end the homestand at 13 and 13. They've got a a one-game road trip to Dallas on Monday night, and then they come back and they will play consecutive games against the Los Angeles Clippers later on in the week. And that was the week that was. Now let's get to some Petey's points. Uh, Obviously, the headline story, as I said, from the loss to Phoenix was the return of Justice Winslow. And Justice Winslow, despite the fact he really hadn't that he hadn't played a game for the Memphis Grizzlies, became a a polarizing factor among Grizzlies fans and followers. Look, the Grizzlies front office pursued this deal uh, because, number one, they weren't sure, even though they had money, that they were going to be able to get the free agent that they wanted to Memphis. So rather than risk everything on trying to recruit a free agent to come to Memphis, they decided, and they also had Andre Iguodala that they needed to deal with, um, they just decided, look, we think this is an all-around player who can defend multiple positions, who can handle the ball, be a playmaker, and a decent shooter. His shooting has improved, although it's not at an elite level at this point. So the Grizzlies front office pursued that deal. Um, He came to the Grizzlies with an injury, rehabbed it. In fact, when the Grizzlies flew to Portland last March to play the Trailblazers, it was presumed, understood, that Justice Winslow would make his debut against the Portland Trailblazers last March. Well, then we all know what happened. Grizzlies land in Portland. Rudy Gobert tests positive for COVID. And the league is put on hiatus. So you've got a healthy Justice Winslow, but there are no games to play. And so everybody's looking forward to having him in the Orlando bubble. Well, then he sustains a hip injury. uh, And it was one of those injuries that was difficult to diagnose and try to figure out exactly what was going on. And so the Grizzlies, as is their want and as is their plan, and I am in total support of it, took a very conservative approach to making sure that he was ready before they put him back on the floor. Now, let's circle back to Orlando. Uh, I talked to some people who were in the bubble, people who were in practice with Justice Winslow, 
and they will tell you that Justice Winslow, in those practices in Orlando, was arguably the best player on the court for the Memphis Grizzlies. Doing a lot of things offensively, defensively. Uh, his personality is is amazing. And if you had the opportunity to see some of the media availabilities he did in Orlando, uh, he just seems like a guy that you would want to be around and that you'd want to play basketball with. Uh, but then, of course, the injury occurs, and then the debut of Justice Winslow is pushed out all the way now into mid-February. Let me say this about Justice Winslow. I think he's a very good basketball player. Is he the answer to everything the Grizzlies need? I think that's overselling it a little bit. Can he be a valuable contributor to this team? Yes. This is still John Morant's team. It is still Jaron Jackson's team. And until we get everybody healthy and get everybody integrated, and that will be a process, and we don't know when Jaron is going to come back, uh, will he be back before the league uh, takes its all-star break the first week in March? I, I don't know. Um, but until we get everybody together, I don't think it's fair to say that Justice Winslow is or is not going to be uh, a key piece of the Grizzlies puzzle, uh, and he's going to put the team over the top. I, I think to try to say that Justice Winslow is going to push this team over the top and get them solidly into playoff contention, I think that's putting too much pressure on him. I don't think that's fair to him. Uh, he hasn't played NBA basketball in over a year. And even last year uh, with the Miami Heat, he only played 11 games before he was injured. So, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I, I mean, I like his game. I think he can be a valued contributor uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies, but let's not oversell. Let's not undersell. Let's wait and see what happens with Justice Winslow. I'm eager to see what he can do when he is fully in game shape. Uh, his defensive intensity against Phoenix, I thought, was remarkable. The shooting was not there. Obviously, you would imagine that there's going to be some rust. But let's just wait and see. Let, let's have him play 10, 12, 15 games, and hopefully with Jaron on the floor as well, and then let's figure out uh, what Justice Winslow is going to mean to this team. Secondly, uh, you know, the three-point disparity on the homestand was was just incredible. Um, and Grizzlies, I think, were minus like 10 three-point makes per game during the homestand. And as I said, last two games of the homestand, Grizzlies made 10 threes in the two games combined. Uh, and they had uh, Oklahoma City, I think, go for 19. You had uh, New Orleans go for 19. You had, new, uh, you had Phoenix set a new franchise record with 24. I'm not saying the Grizzlies have to match that volume, but either they're going to have to make more or they're going to have to defend better at the three-point line, or this is going to be a very, very rough season. I know it's only four games, but Grizzlies, even for the year, they're minus about two or three three-point makes per game. Grizzlies, when they make more threes, they win more games. When they are on the negative side of it, more often than not, they're not going to win the basketball game. So again, I'm not saying they've got a they've got a chuck with the rest of the NBA, but uh, either they have to be more accurate from three, or they have to be better at guarding the three, or otherwise it's 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 going to be a rough go. Uh, finally, resting players, which is what the Grizzlies did against the Phoenix Suns. Look, I get it. Uh, four and five nights. This is not the way the NBA is scheduled these days. However, in the days of COVID, these things happen. Um, understanding that you're trying to preserve your uh, human resources, as it were, for a playoff run or run into the play-in games, uh, and you're just trying to get get guys some rest. It's a crowded time of the schedule. I get it. Um, 
you know, it's a, it's a little different than it was, you know, when I started in the NBA some 20, some almost 30 years ago where everybody played every night and guys didn't sit and guys didn't rest. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a different world. And, and right now the, the minutes are being managed, the uh, physical expenditure of energy is being monitored, and hopefully that it, it, it does allow players to become fresher. But uh, when you end up kind of resting a bunch of guys at the same time as the Grizzlies did against Phoenix, you know, the results aren't necessarily pretty. So I understand it. I understand that the Grizzlies, like all other franchises in the NBA, are taking the long view on this. And uh, four and five nights, Kyle Anderson certainly deserved to rest because he's been having a career year. But unfortunately, it does, it does end up in a game where, where it is very, very lopsided. So uh, that's what I got for Petey's points today. Uh, and uh, before we get to the mailbag, we have this announcement to share with you. And a question for you, if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement and become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing framing consultations by appointment during the uh, COVID pandemic. Call them at 901-685-7796. Chris Garner, good friend, big Grizzlies fan, and an outstanding artisan when it comes to framing anything and everything. It'll be museum quality, I promise you. 901-685-7796 for Garner Framing. All right, quick question uh, that really it could be a very, very long answer, but uh, I did get the question. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey to get into the NBA? I was very fortunate. My high school had a 10-watt radio station. So when I was in high school, I was calling high school football and basketball uh, for my particular high school, Premontre High School in Green Bay, Wisconsin, a boys-only Catholic high school, which has merged with other schools and is now Notre Dame Academy. Uh, it is the same high school that produced Kevin Harlan of CBS and Turner. Uh, he is five years older than I am. He started uh, at WGBP-FM, 90.1 on your FM dial. Uh, he uh, started the tradition of uh, doing games as a student, and I followed along in his footsteps, went on to the University of Notre Dame, did student radio there, and uh, after getting out of uh, Notre Dame, I worked for the Notre Dame Alumni Association. I came across uh, a fellow by the name of Herb Black in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who was friends with George Blaha, class of Notre Dame 1966, and said, hey, I know you want to be a sportscaster. I know that this Alumni Association job is, is kind of a way station for you. It's not really what you want to do, but uh, why don't you and George talk? I'll, I'll see if George will listen to your tape. And uh, well, believe it or not, George Blaha did listen to my tape. Longtime voice of the Detroit Pistons, by the way, since uh, since the 70s. And he uh, he took my tape and gave it to his boss because at that point, and it's still true today, that George was doing Michigan State football on radio. At that point, Mark Champion was doing was filling in for George and, and doing some radio games, uh, and he was also doing the Detroit Lions. So there were some weekends in the fall when one or both of them were not available. And also, as it turned out, Mark Champion did a couple of Winter Olympics for Westwood One, and uh, so he had to miss some games. And the Pistons gave me a shot. And so between 1990 and 1996, uh, I did a handful of radio games on fall weekends for the Detroit Pistons. And that's 
that's how I got my break into the NBA. And the executive that had hired me uh, for the Detroit Pistons part-time gig uh, then moved to Portland. And he hired me to come out, and uh, I was with the Portland Trailblazers starting in 1998. First year, I was the radio host, pre, half, and post. Also did some sideline reporting on the TV side. Um, And then after one year of that, uh, I was elevated to the television play-by-play position, which I held for four years, working alongside the late, great Steve Snapper-Jones. And um, in a massive layoff at Portland Trailblazer headquarters, I was laid off. And after a year out, uh, the radio job came open with the Memphis Grizzlies. I applied for it, interviewed for it, was fortunate enough to get it. And then, of course, Don Poyer passed away uh, in January of 2005. And uh, then I became the TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and here I am. That is the thumbnail version. There's a lot more to the story, but uh, in the interest of time, there you go. That's... uh, That's the answer to today's mailbag question. If you have a mailbag question for me, hit me up on Twitter. My handle is very simply at Pete Pranicus. Hit me up, and uh, maybe I'll be answering your question in a future edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Well, our friend of the program today, former assistant coach with the Memphis Grizzlies, spent last season with the Grizzlies, Neil Ivey, All-American basketball player, out of St. Louis, Missouri, for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, won a national championship as a player, and then also returned uh, to campus to work with Muffet McGraw as an assistant coach and the Irish winning other uh, national honors as well. Uh, Niel was uh, an All-American. She also played in the WNBA for the Indiana Fever, the Detroit Shock, and for the Phoenix Mercury before going to the bench at Notre Dame. Came to Memphis for one season under Taylor Jenkins, and when Muffet McGraw decided to hang up her whistle at the University of Notre Dame, uh, Neil Ivey was the obvious choice to return to campus. Neil Ivey is today's friend of the program. Coach, what did what has it been like your first year as a head coach for the Fighting Irish? Um, it's been fun, um, challenging at times. I think that's just from the nature of the, the pandemics, both pandemics. Um, but I mean, it's been uh, such a joy to come in every day to see the Golden Dome, you know, to be back in my alma mater. But we, I, it definitely has come with a lot of challenges. You have the unusual situation in some sense that Muffet McGraw, your former boss, remains on campus, is doing some teaching. What are your interactions like now that the rules are somewhat reversed, that she's retired and, and you're the one who's the head coach? Yeah, um, I try to talk to her at least once, um, once a month for sure. But sometimes that that's um, even more frequent, like once a week. Um, she always texts me or calls me after games. Um, we have a great relationship. So ever, since I've come back on campus or stepped on the, um, you know, South, South Bend territory, I've been very, very close with her. She's been very giving um, as far as just like just wisdom, insight. Um, they're just, you know, for me to just talk to whenever I need to talk to. So uh, we've remained, you know, really close, which I'm very grateful to have her um, down the street. What is the biggest thing that you took away from your time in Memphis that aided your development as a coach? I, I learned so much. I, I took away so many, so many valuable things. Um, Coach Jenkins, I mean, I learned so much from him. I was just trying to be a sponge. He's so bright um, and, and 
also just the entire coaching staff. I learned a lot from so many different perspectives. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to learn from some great elite players as well, just being around great, great people, you know, as far as just outside of the knowledge, you know, with Ja, Jaron, um, being able to work with so, you know, so many different people um, and different talents. And so I took away so many different things, but I, I would say just the, the biggest one, you know, for me was like the leadership of Taylor. Um, you know, he was building a brand new um, organization, um, you know, building that new foundation with new culture that he brought in. And I learned that from him, uh, which was very different from what I'd been exposed to here in Notre Dame. So I thought that was a big piece of what I, what I took away outside of the millions of X's and O's, um, you know, practice. I mean, I, I took so many X's and O's um, things um, away and just, you know, learn so much from the game in, in, um, in itself. But I think the foundation and culture was a big thing I took away. You bring up a really interesting point because when you're recruited to play at Notre Dame, you know what you're getting into. The culture is pretty much already there. Either right. you're a Notre Dame person, you're not a Notre Dame person, and that could be for Stanford or anywhere else. But in the NBA, it's on the coach to create that culture. And what was the biggest part of the culture that Taylor Jenkins was creating last year? Oh my God. I mean, just the, the, in the work ethic, the, the environment that he created. So, you know, competing, getting better every day um, and playing unselfishly. That's what I learned. Um, that was something that he preached every day in the locker room after every win or loss. It was, just, he kept this, um, the same fundamental values um, of his culture, getting better, competing and, and playing unselfishly. And while I'm watching now in year two, watching from afar, I can see how um, it, they, you know, the, the, the team has really taken on that um that identity this year so it's I, I felt like we we did that as well last year but you can really see it in year two um so that was something that um I thought was tremendous you know Taylor is such a great coach but he's also so passionate he's so smart and he's so driven um and and or, you know detail oriented that I think it just um I think the team kind of feeds off of that you've had a chance to watch the team from distance a little bit. You made the trip down to Indianapolis to watch a team in person. What have you noticed as you've watched the team on league pass? Oh my gosh, so much, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, we've battling a lot of injuries, not having Jerry and justice. And I feel like everybody has stepped up. Um, I think the new pieces with Desmond Bain um, and Xavier Tillman, I think they've been incredible pieces. Um, Gorgie's gotten a lot better. JV, you know, Tyus is so solid. Um, Grayson. I mean, there's so many great, um, there's so many great weapons that, that the Grizzlies, I say we, cause I feel like I'm still part of the, part of the family. Um, um, I think Jaws come back in, in rare form. He's worked on every, um, aspect of his game from last year um, but I love the pace that they're playing with I love the confidence no matter what I feel like they always play with that swag and I think that's a credit to um, Ja the way that he leads that team but I feel like everyone has really stepped up with, with um, the injuries that they've had this year. We're visiting with Neil Ivey former assistant coach for the Grizzlies current head coach of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. I know that Ja certainly respected you a great deal. What was it like to coach such an amazing talent who is really just starting to scratch the surface of how good he can be? Oh, I mean, it was, it was incredible to be around him, um, to, to feel that I had a good uh, relationship with him. Like you said, like from the moment that I was hired, he was the first person to reach out. They said, you know, welcome to the family. So that shows the character of who, who he was or who he is as a young man. Um, but yeah, I think he valued no matter female or male, he valued um, the experience, basketball experience. And I feel like he had, he gave me that respect. And I love that about him. I always respect him for that. And I always appreciate, um, you know, just, 
um, he, who he is as a person, but as far as just being around him, I, I, I learned so much from watching him in practice, the way that he practiced, he brought the same amount of energy every day, um, no matter what, um, he, he is a great teammate. And that's, that's what I love. Your point guards have to be the ones that lead the team on the floor, but just the, the way that he rallies his group together. Um, I think he does a great job of exuding confidence with his group. Um, and you know, that's what I love being around. I, I was fortunate to be around some very elite players on the women's side, um, with Skylar Diggins and Enrique Gumbuale. So to be able to be around, um, an elite guard like that, um, you know, rookie of the year, um, future all-star, um, was, was great. I, I grew a lot just from being around him. The sorority of women coaches in the NBA is growing. Uh, I assume that you made contact with them. What are some of the lessons, some of the shared experiences when you talk to them about your experience in the NBA and what it means to be a female coach in the NBA and being among the pioneers? Um, yeah, you know, just uh, it's important from afar, you know, Jim Becky Hammond, you know, I feel like that whole group, we, we basically every time we played each other, we would always come up to each other, you know, show a sign of respect, but also just what do you need? You need to, you know, you need to vent, you know, what, what do you need? We, we had that like little, that little um, unity, um, you know, thread or, or messaging that we had for each other. Um, but um, I think I think the biggest thing is um, what I what I, I feel like I learned and I actually try to pass on to Sonia is um, you, you won't know everything, everything from the beginning. You just have to continue to grow, be a sponge, ask a lot of questions, make sure you're you're you're, you're um, I think asking a lot of questions was the biggest thing for me, um, especially when I was there is just trying to follow, learn from a lot of different perspectives and, you know, try to put your own spin on it, but try to be a sponge and learn as much as you can. And I feel like that's the conversations that we have a lot of, a lot with each other. It seems like almost a fait accompli that Becky Hammond will be the first to be a head coach. What impresses you most about Becky? She, her, I mean, her IQ, I mean, she's a, the extremely hard worker. Um, I always felt that way um, in college and also what she did as a player in the WNBA. She's a student of the game. Um, she's very confident um, she, and she's put in the time, to be honest. Like she's, she's been around, um, you know, Popovich, even when she was just playing, when she wasn't on, on the staff for a long time. So she's um, somebody that's loyal, but somebody that I feel like just has, a, um, you know, she has the, the smarts or the intelligence uh, for the game. And I think she just keeps growing and getting better. Um, and then she had opportunity to win in the summer league. So she has, she's gained the experience. And so I, I, I'm excited to see, um, see what organization she's going to lead in the future. Very well could be the San Antonio Spurs. Um, this is Black History Month. And as a woman of color in a position of authority and high visibility, how do you leverage your position? How do you use your position to advance social issues, particularly because you're at a university where you have a lot of young minds who will go out and, and be future leaders? Yeah, I mean, I've tried to use my platform as much as I can um, to be in vocal, not to be silent about ma things that matter. Um, I did that, you know, via social media this this um, in the spring, right when I got the job on social media, um, expressing um, my concerns, expressing my opinions. Um, like I said, through social media with my team using our platform, we've, you know, because of COVID, we didn't get a chance to get out in the community as much as I would like, um, but also being in, the, in our own Notre Dame community. Um, and then I had an opportunity to get out in the South, South Bend community just with my staff um, safely. Um, as, but, but as much as I can, you know, I, I've tried to um, use my, my platform um, and speak, speak out um, on the issues that needs to be spoken on. And again, I, I realize what, 
the the magnitude of being in this role and and how big representation is to be an African American woman um, standing and 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 powerfully leading and just you know using my voice for good. So that's what I've tried to do. I've tried to do. And you were here for one MLK celebration weekend, the game, all the activities around it. What did you take away from that celebration that you now use at Notre Dame and your continued journey of social justice? Yeah, it was such a powerful weekend for me. Um, I tried to, I mean, I've, I've been to the, um, you know, the Lorraine um African-American History Museum downtown in Memphis. And that was really powerful. So I went there that weekend. I went there multiple times, but I felt like um, Memphis and the NBA did such a great job of bringing in speakers. There was a panel that I was on, um, bringing in the, the community um, and making sure that it was just not just a day. It was something that you want to, that you celebrate and speak on for the entire year, but really honoring King that weekend. I thought it was, it was magnificent. And for me here, I'm hoping that we maybe can try to do something, either bringing in um, communities, um, having panels, bringing in speakers, the way that um, the, the Grizzlies, the way that you guys did, and, and also just the NBA, I thought it was very powerful. So hopefully at some point I can make something um, of, of tradition tradition here of, of honoring um, King and um, fighting for, for justice um, here in Notre Dame. Different dynamic in the college game as opposed to the NBA, because now there's a whole athletic department at Notre Dame. So you've got a whole group of coaches. Um, what is that interaction like with, with Mike Bray or um, Coach Kelly or, or some of the other coaches on campus? What is that like? Yeah, it was very different with COVID. So I've only had an opportunity to see Brian Kelly from afar, just almost like walking past um, our facilities. Um, but Mike Bray, we're in the same building practice facility. So I get a chance to see him often. Um, we went out to dinner um, as a, both staffs, social distance, of course, but we, we um, you know, when I came back on campus, it was good just to have that, um, that family com- camaraderie um, together. So that was great. Um, but I mean, all the coaches, they're, they're great. Um, I feel like we've been on more Zoom calls since I've been back, just honestly, just because of COVID. But hopefully if things um, get a little bit more normal, maybe next year in the year, year two or three, um, we can spend more time. But, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a family oriented place. And so um, usually we get a chance to kind of go to each other's practices. But again, because of COVID, it's a little bit different. But I have a really great relationship with Mike Bray, like I said, because he's right down the, right next door. So I can pop in his office, ask him a lot of questions. Um, I try to gain a lot of wisdom from him as well. Last thing for you, Neil. What is, or how different is it? Because in the NBA, you're playing or you're dealing with players that this is a business, this is their job. College basketball, it's entirely different. So tell us a little bit about the difference and maybe how you approach student athletes as opposed to professional athletes. Yes. So I was exposed. Well, I mean, a, a whole different world, you know, last year, as far as in so many different aspects, but like you said, being a business, it was all basketball, all X's and O's. And I actually love that part of it. Um, but I'm also a relationship person. So I kind of missed um, the relationship sides of recruiting and the student athlete perspective. So it's definitely, it's definitely two different worlds um, that I um, have had the opportunity to be a part of. And I, I love both of them. So I'm kind of um, kind of right in the middle, but as far as just on that college side, um, there's so many different aspects that you have to deal with as far as academics, um, as far as compliance, um, as far as mental health. There's so many different things that you have to deal with um, on the collegiate side. And luckily, I've, I've been around the collegiate game for over 13 years. So I have a great grasp of that. But I actually I, and I but I also really love um, the NBA side, having it to be just a business. Um, I, I love that aspect of it. I learned so much. 
from the analytic department, so many different perspectives um, um, at the Grizzlies, but also just being just all basketball. So it was, you didn't have to worry about anything. It was all basketball. So, and I love that aspect of it as well. Well, thanks so much for the time. It's great to catch up. And of Thank course, you. go Irish. Thank you. Go Irish. Thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Neil Ivy. Class act, great and happy for her to be back at Notre Dame, succeeding Muffet McGraw as the head women's basketball coach at Notre Dame. Uh, Neil was great to be around when she was with the Grizzlies, had a real good relationship with John Morant, and I think was crucial in Ja's development last year as the NBA Rookie of the Year. During the course of the conversation, you might remember she referenced Sonia. That's Sonia Rahman, who was hired by the Memphis Grizzlies to be an assistant coach. Sonia had been coaching at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Well, today's edition of the Weekly Grind has been brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, and their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can follow them at Twitter at HoopCityBC. Now, this special offer... They have a spring league coming up, and if you want your young person to be involved, well, we, we got a deal for you. It's $55 off the registration, but you got to use the coupon code. The coupon code is Pete, my name, P-E-T-E. Just enter that in the box at checkout at HoopCityBC.com, and you will save $55 off the registration for the Hoop City Basketball Club Spring League. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Well, our thanks to Neil Ivey for being our friend of the program today. That is a wrap for Episode 15. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Branica. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.